Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Scootybarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Scootybarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Open your Bibles to Acts. Acts in the New Testament. Chapter 20. Let's turn the house lights on, please, all the way up so I can see the beautiful faces. There you go. Whoo, you look marvelous. Remember that one? That's going all old school today. So um, we are at a, at a really critical point as a church. So today's message is to address the next steps that we are going to have to take as a church. And the next meeting that we're going to have for these steps are three days away, Wednesday night. What do I mean by next steps? Next steps is, um, two months ago, I used this very text as my text for preaching, and I told you that God has called Shannon and I to a different kind of ministry. So December 31st will be my last Sunday as your pastor. And so we're, we're moving on to something, not moving on, we're moving to something different. And I need you to understand that we're not leaving something, we're going to something. If it were, this isn't our choice. When you, when you, when you ask God, God, uh, do whatever you want with me, you have a, a yes on the table, it doesn't matter where, how, when, how much, whatever you say, my answer is yes, I don't need to know what, I just need you to point. When you give that to God, you have to be ready to be obedient, whether it's comfortable or not. And just so you know my own heart, I go from great faith to great fear on a daily basis. This has been my life for the last couple of months. But I know that God has called us to do what we're about to do as a a family. But the six-month transition, the reason we didn't just say, hey, two weeks from now will be my last Sunday we're going on, the reason for that was because you, as God's people, need a shepherd. And I didn't want to leave you without a shepherd, and I certainly didn't want to leave you without having a structure in place as a church to protect the unity of the church and the mission and vision of the church. So it's going to take a while, for, for probably, for, for you to have, have found the pastor God has called for here. I, or, I know he's already chosen, God has already chosen who the pastor is going to be. It's just we've got to discern who that is. But, but that transition time is so we can set the structure to where it will properly hold the weight of three churches on one campus. First Baptist has a different culture than Story Point. Story Point has a different culture than Mission Casa. Mission Casa has a different culture than First Baptist. We are in a weird hybrid situation as a church. Wouldn't you agree? It's hybrid and it's hard to explain and it's messy. But here's what I don't want you to lose sight of. What God has done through us individually and together on this campus has been fantastically marvelous. The ministry that God has given us, the outreach, the places we've been able to impact uh, for the kingdom of God has truly been spectacular. Now, I have the privilege of standing at the 50,000 foot view and seeing all of it, because this is all I do. This is all I ever think about. I mean, uh, as, as a shepherd, you think about your people and you think about 
what God is doing, has done, and still wants to do. So that's my privilege. So you may not see all of these things. And if we had a time, I would write it up on a board. And you'd probably say, man, I had no idea we did that. But all of that being said, we're in a point where this Wednesday night, we've got to start making some really difficult decisions. And so what I want to preach to you today is understanding how we go forward in these decisions. Amen? You with me? All right. Let me give you three words. Authority, power, and leadership. All right? Same with me. One, authority, power, and leadership. Now, these three words are not interchangeable. They are different, distinct, unique words, but they all work together when it comes to a church body. And so the question is, not what do we think about authority, power, and leadership. The real question is, what does the Bible say about authority, power, and leadership? Now, the good news and bad news. The good news is the Bible speaks to these things. The bad news is it does not give us every single nut and bolt and detail about them. There is leeway within the Scripture for us to work out how this works in our own context, I think this is a design of God. Here's why. Because every church functions in a unique culture. We would do things here in Gulf Breeze that we would not do in inner city Philadelphia. We would do things in inner city Philadelphia that we would not do in Beijing, China. We would do things in Beijing, China that we would not do in Hyderabad, India. And so the world is vastly unique in each of its cultures. And the church's job is to be the light of Christ. Remember, we have good news. The good news is Jesus saves. The good news is he's come to set the captives free, give healing for the sick, give sight to the blind, proclaim the year of God's favor. So we have this good news, but the good news is only good news if it's heard, right? So our job as the church is to declare the good news, the gospel of the kingdom within the culture that we are living in. How we do that is really, really difficult, because not only do we have to know our culture, but we have to have some kind of structure, some kind of form as the church. Listen, the church in America does not look like the church in many places in the world. Many places in the world, the church looks totally different. I was just in Togo, Africa, and the church was mostly women. There were a few men, a ton of children, and they had poles for the sides of the walls and a metal top. And they were singing out in the open with no power, no microphone, no musical instruments. All they had was their voices. And one person in the crowd started singing and clapping and everybody else followed. Right? Now, we would never go for that. If I said right now, hey, let's go out in the parking lot and have church, what would you say? Say, man, you are smoking something. You are crazy. I would actually say to myself, don't be a fool. Right? So it looks different. But because it looks different, we still have to figure it out, all right? So Acts chapter 20 gives us, I think, a basis of what we're supposed to do, okay? The first word was what? Do you remember? Authority. Acts chapter 20. Now from Miletus, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he, he is Paul, sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. All right, so right away we have a clue. Paul summoned the elders of the church at Ephesus. Now, 
The church at Ephesus was not a building. The church at Ephesus were the people of God within the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a large city. And because of that, there was a a, a movement of the gospel in the city. And there were many, many believers that came to know Christ through the preaching of Paul and through the preaching of other uh, believers that were there. And so what you had were multiple places in the city where the church would have met. There would have been house churches, essentially. And so the Bible says that Paul, or, or that Paul called, excuse me, assembled the overseers or the elders of the church in Ephesus. So when he said church, he was speaking church city, but you understand there were smaller congregations within the city. How do we know that? Well, where else is the church supposed to meet? especially when there's persecution. I mean, it, it's, it's just logical, but also church history tells us that the church met in their homes. The Bible tells us that as well. But they also would sometimes gather publicly, sometimes in the synagogue, sometimes in the public spaces, most oftentimes, and actually it was daily. Sometimes people are like, hey, let's get back to the first century church. Okay, seven days a week we're going to meet in your house. Anybody want to go first century? Right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's different. Yeah, we say that, but we'll wait until you get home from work at 6 o'clock and you're like, man, I got 20 people coming to my house, right? So, so the church at Ephesus, these elders, these overseers, were, were called by Paul to come together. He summoned them. Now, how did the church at Ephesus get overseers? Do you know? In Acts chapter 14, we're told. The Bible says that Paul appointed overseers in all of the churches. So city by city, he appointed these overseers. Why? Because he knew that a church without an overseer was a church that was not going to make it. Let me say that again. A church without overseers is a church that is not going to make it. Why? Because the Bible says, that's Jesus. Uh, The Bible says that, uh, answer it, that's important. So the Bible says, my ADD is just killing you, isn't it? (laughs) I'm so sorry. The Bible says, a fourth time. What does it say? Dang it. Now I forgot. Ah, I hate it when I do that. Y'all are listening. Cool. Yeah, I can't. I, dang it. I know. I'll go back to overseers. So, oh yeah. The Bible says that we, as God's people, are sheep. Now, that sounds pejorative. It's not pejorative. It's just truthful. One of the times we see in the scripture where Jesus wept is when he stood over Jerusalem and he wept for the city because he said they are like sheep without a shepherd. Here's what that means. Any sheep without a shepherd, without an overseer, are sheep who are set up for disaster and for the wolves to come in and ravage them. Sheep cannot govern themselves. Listen, we don't want to hear that, but sheep cannot govern themselves. Why? Well, because of the nature of sheep. That doesn't mean sheep are dumb. That doesn't mean sheep are unimportant. That doesn't mean sheep don't have gifts and skills and ability. It just means that when you have a flock, not a a herd of sheep, is it flock or herd? When you have a bunch of sheep, bunch of sheepies, sheepies, sheepers, all in one place, without a shepherd, they start doing their own thing, and it 
always ends in pain, suffering, and death every time. You never see a flock of sheep or herd of sheep without a shepherd. So God said, I'm going to address the church, the people of God, as sheep, and then I'm going to provide a way for them to be protected. And this is what Paul tells the shepherds, okay? So he calls them together. Then he actually tells me, he says, you know, for the first time I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, he essentially says, look, elders, overseers, I've been faithful in showing you what a man of God is supposed to be like. I've been faithful in demonstrating to you the fruit of the Spirit. I've been demonstrating to you what faithfulness looks like. I've been demonstrating to you what good theology is and sound teaching. And then he turns to them in verse 28 and he says this. He says, be on guard. He tells the elders of the church, be on guard. In other words, lift up your head, open your eyes, watch. Be on guard for whom? He says, be on guard for yourselves and for the sheep that you shepherd. You see that? He says flock, so sheep that you shepherd. And so he gives a a charge to the overseers. Now again, overseers is an interchangeable term somewhat with bishop, pastor, shepherd, overseer, elder, all of these words we use to mean the same thing. What it really means though is this, it's the one who's been given authority over and for God's people. Now, that answers the question Who gives authority in the church? You don't give authority. And I don't give authority. Authority solely and completely belongs to God himself, and he gives authority. Right? So my authority to preach God's word is not given to me by you. It's given to me by God. But that comes with a price. So let's go back and see it. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock for which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers. So the Holy Spirit appointed. That means that God is giving the authority with the price. And the price is when I stand before you anytime, whether it's Sunday morning or I was going to say Sunday night or Wednesday night. We don't do that anymore. When I stand before you and I open up God's word and I said, hear the word of the Lord. That authority comes from God, but that authority comes at the price of every word I speak from God's word, I'm accountable for. I got to tell you, that scares me to death. It frightens me to think that I might say something that would be outside of what God has taught in his word, and it scares me to death to think that you might believe something that I say that is outside of the word of God. Because when I stand before God in the day of judgment, he's not going to ask you, hey, what did you think about Jeff's preaching? He's not going to ask you, hey, did he do well? Was he faithful? No, no. He's going to look me square in the eyes and he's going to say, Jeff, did you faithfully preach my word to the flock that I've entrusted to you? That is what he's going to ask. Here's why that's important to me. Because I, you would not believe how much critique preachers get over their preaching smile for a moment and on any given week i will hear you are such a good preacher 
You make it so clear that we can understand it and you're so simple. All the way to, you are a horrible preacher. You don't even preach from God's word. You don't even give us the truth. You're too soft. All the way over to, man, I really feel like God is just speaking through you every time you open your mouth. Two, you know what? You probably need to go do something else. I'm, I'm not joking. I've heard these exact things. So here's the thing. I just want you to know, or I want you to answer the question, which one of you should I listen to? Which one of you is right? Here's, the, here, here's what I do. In my flesh, I say, is there any truth to what they're saying? And there are some times I go, you know what? Yeah, I need, to, I need to edge over this way. Or I need to edge over this way. But after in my flesh I listen to what's being said, I then go to the bigger question. Am I being faithful to what God is telling me to preach? Here's the great part. If I will be faithful to what God tells me to preach, it'll hit you every single time if your heart will receive it. It never ceases to amaze me how my messages fit perfectly with what was taught in Bible study that very morning. You need to know I don't go and look at the Sunday school material every single week. But time after time after time again, that's how you know the Spirit is at work. When things sync up and you didn't even try to. That's how you know that you ought to listen because God is trying to say something. Now listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that everything I say you should just take and believe right off the bat. No, I'm actually saying the opposite. You need to test every single thing that comes from God's word from this pulpit. Right? Everything. Don't just believe it because it's said by somebody who's preaching. Go back and say, is this the word of God? Because I'm accountable to what God says I am to say. And I'll tell you. There are times when God says, look, I want you to say that. I don't want to say that. Yeah, but I want you to say that. But I don't want to say that. I want you to say that. But if I say that, it might make somebody not like me or they might misunderstand. Okay, I'll say that. I don't fear you. I don't, mean, I don't, I don't say that egotistically. I, I mean, I really don't fear you. I do fear God. I fear standing before God and God saying, you chickened out on the truth of what I told you to say. You are accountable. So, Authority is given by God. Not just for preaching, though, but for doing two other things. For guarding the flock and for shepherding God's people. Look at what the Scripture says. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Let me just take a moment. So be on guard for yourselves. Here's the interesting thing about, about overseers who teach. So you are expecting... A, a, a home run every Sunday. I mean, let's be real. Nobody goes to church going, you know, I really hope our preacher's average today. I really hope that he just kind of, just is faithful, you know. I, I just, wanna, just want a faithful text and just, I just want to learn. No, you come every Sunday going, man, I, I want to get energized. I want to get excited. I want to leave going, yeah, let's go chase hell with a water pistol. I mean, that's what you want. But, but you realize that's not a realistic expectation, right? Because you realize that sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm just in a bad mood. I mean, that doesn't happen often, but there are times when I wake up in the morning and I'm wrestling with sin. And so I've got an hour or two to get right with God and then take God's word and, and, and then deliver it. There are times when Shannon and I fight. We don't necessarily fight, but we, I mean, we have in the past, but we, we don't know, we don't fight, we disagree. Let's just put it that way. We've been married 30 years this coming summer, so we have disagreements. 
There are times when she doesn't like me too much and I don't like her too much, but I still got to stand here and deliver God's word powerfully with conviction and with the umption of the Holy Spirit. Amen? If, if you want to try it, I, I, I would ask you to do it. Because here's the thing. Sometimes preachers are like, man, that was an awesome sermon. Yeah, he preaches one time every four years. Of course. Anybody can not knock it out of the park that. I'm not talking about people. I'm just... I'm not talking about the people who preach here. I'm saying that's a general thing. Yeah, do it every Sunday. Year after year after year. Be fresh. Be fruitful. Expose God's word in a way that people go, you know what, that made sense. That really touched me right here. What I'm saying is it is a supernatural work of God to do the work of an overseer. And without God's supernatural power, you won't last. So, what do we do? We be on our guard. We're always vigilant for our own self and for the flock. Being on guard for the flock means you're trying to look for the wolves that are at the gate to eat the sheep. And there are more wolves than you could possibly ever imagine. Let me just tell you some of them. We have the wolves of disunity. We have the wolves of agenda. We have the wolves of conflicting opinion. We have the wolves of conflicting values. We have the wolves of whether or not we're supposed to wear a mask for COVID. Remember that one? We have the wolves of all kinds of human things. And then we have the theological wolves. Do you know that as a church... A handful of years ago, we were on the edge of division theologically. It would have split us right down the middle, and it would have caused us to be in very, very uh, divisive times. And the division was over hyper-charismatic tendencies. That was an issue here. Now, we didn't, we, we didn't, maybe you didn't know that, but that was a very difficult thing, and the overseer's job was to try to keep the church together in the midst of it. Do y'all, y'all hear what I'm saying? You know how hard that is? And you say, well, why can't we be hyper-charismatic? Well, because hyper-charismatic is unbiblical. Now look, if you want to believe that, that's fine. That's fine. But, but that's not who we are as a church. And so it, you're going to have to do that somewhere else, not here. Because we are a church that we have our biblical conviction. It's not like we don't, we don't look at the scripture, but we go, you know what? We, we've looked at it, we've examined it, and we don't fall in that belief. So if you want to believe that, that's fine, but just do that, do that in a different context. But don't divide the church over it. That's not healthy. That's not good for the church. You know what the enemy wants? He wants us to split right down the middle so we no longer exist. Because let me just tell you the consequences of us no longer existing. We have no more influence with an unreached people group in the far ends of the earth where we are the only church apart from one other that is helping two people try to reach several million people with the gospel and they've never heard the gospel there. We're the ones who are standing in the gap to help that happen. You take away us, that's a whole. You take away what we're doing with the the different local ministries that we're doing. Listen, this church 
And, and it hasn't been a church-wide thing that we've taken up a collection and done it officially, but it's been relationally. We've helped multiple different ministries feeding women who have no food and they come out of abuse situations. And we've helped children, just, just this on and on and on thing. You know what the enemy wants? He despises the gospel of the kingdom. So he wants to destroy what we have here so we will not do that anymore. He wants us splintered, and he wants us all going about our own ways. Because as a single person, single not being married, but as a person doing ministry yourself, you are not nearly as effective, effective as if you are a person doing ministry with a team of people. A, a team, an army is far more powerful than a single person. Y'all with me? Y'all hear what I'm saying here? So the authority is given, and here's what the authority is for. Appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up from your own number to distort the truth and lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for three years I've never stopped warning each of you with tears. This is what I'm doing for you right now. I'm warning you with tears. That the enemy wants to divide because the enemy is only about stealing, killing, and destroying. There is no life with the enemy. He's not creative. All he wants to do is destroy the good that God has done and is doing. Okay? So what does a shepherd do? He's to shepherd the flock of God. What does that mean? Well, a shepherd has one eye looking at the flock and the other eye looking outside for the wolves. He's looking this way. Now, let me ask you a question. How hard do you think it is to look two ways when you only have two eyes? It's really hard. You're looking in because you know that sheep who don't feel like they have a shepherd get restless. But then you also know that if the shepherd is looking in only, the wolves outside are coming into attack. And so a shepherd's job, an overseer's job, is to both be looking inside and outside. Oh, and by the way, shepherds aren't always nice. Shepherds aren't always gentle. They have a gentle spirit, but they recognize a wolf and they deal with a wolf like a wolf. Could you imagine a shepherd going, okay, wolf, just stay outside the gate. These are our lines. This is, this is, this is, our, this is our space. This is your safe space. This is our safe space. Could you imagine in any world where that was a reality? You know what a shepherd does? A shepherd stands at the gate and says, wolf, if you take one step closer, I will kill you. Because my job is to oversee the flock. I should have mentioned, the flock does not belong to the overseer. The flock belongs to Jesus. The Bible says we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. He always has been. He always will be. But he, oh, he puts overseers at each church to do his bidding and to lead as he would lead. Does this make sense to you? And so here's, here's, the, here's the rub. With authority comes great responsibility. But the sheep have to decide how much power and how much leadership the shepherd will have, but also each other will have. So authority is granted by God and God alone 
power is granted by documents. Documents. You say, what in the world does that mean? So, in our country, it runs based on documents. I don't know if you, you realize this, but England does not have the same kind of constitution as we do. Theirs is a kind of a flexible thing, and it kind of kind of moves as, and, and so it, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's fluid. Ours is not. Ours says we have, a, a, we have rules, we have laws, and they're in our constitution, and, and, and if we go to school, we know the preamble and all that kind of stuff, and we go, hey, what do we do here? Well, let's just go to our documents. This is what the documents say. Here's our challenge as a church. This is what we have to do in the next couple of months. We've got to make sure that our documents match what the Bible says a church should do in terms of structure and leadership. The good news is we have basics of what it looks like. The bad news is we've got to fill in the gaps. Amen? Somebody look at the person next to you and say, y'all understanding this? I know. And look, this is so important because the documents are the governing Governing documents. I can tell you now, our documents are not what is healthiest for the church. They need work. They need revision. That's what the transition team's job is, is to help us get our documents in a place where they are good for the safety and the health and the unity of the church body. Nobody likes documents. Not even me. But documents protect us because all we got to do is go back. What, what do the rules say? So I'm working on my motorcycle. It's been, it's been broken for eight months, nine months. And at first I was just tinkering with it. And you know what I realized? I realized, you know what? I better get the manual. Because I can guess. And I, I, I might be smart enough eventually to fix it. Maybe. What I really need, though, is I need a wiring diagram. There are so many wires here, it's too complicated without it. I need to know, listen, I need to know what the manufacturer made. Jesus said that he will build his church. And he will build a church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. So what do his documents say? What we have is this. We have that every church should have an overseer or overseers. Every church. What does an overseer look like? I'm glad you asked. Turn, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 says, if anyone, verse 1, if anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. So an overseer is a noble work. It's a God-given Authority, it's a responsibility with uh, a great, uh, great responsibility. Verse 2, an overseer, therefore, so in other words, because it's such a noble work, an overseer must be like this. He must be above reproach. He must be the husband of one wife. He must be self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household completely and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. 
Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. These are the qualifications. We also see in the book of Titus the same basic list of qualifications. Here's the point. The Bible clearly says that there are overseers who have the authority to lead the church. It's a God-given authority. But those overseers must be this kind of overseer. If they're not this kind of overseer, they should not be overseers. Amen? Right? So, here's kind of the rub. What does it mean to be above reproach? See, this is where it's like super clear, and yet we still have to do our work. What does it mean to be self-controlled? What does it mean to be sensible? This is where the people of God don't have all the answers, but they go to God and they say, God, give us wisdom in knowing how we're supposed to do this. Because the Bible tells us that God gives the gift of discernment to the church to know what God is saying. It is not an impossible task unless you try to do it on your own wisdom and your own human understanding. But when you seek the Lord on it, James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives it liberally to those who will ask. So as a church body, this is our task. We come together in unity and we say, God, give us wisdom to know what this means. We've got the list. We've got the kind of person, but we need to know how to flesh this out. And we need to be unified as we hear who it is that you have called to lead us as overseer. So authority is uh, given by God. Power is given by documents. But when you hear power, do you not first think negative as opposed to positive? That's our natural thought, isn't it? But can I just share with you that all of us actually want power in our lives, in things in our lives. When you go to make your smoothie and you push the green button, what are you expecting? You're expecting power to chop up your kale and bananas and whatever other stuff you put in that thing, right? When you get in your car this afternoon, you turn the key and then you put it in gear and you press the gas, what are you expecting? You want power. And if you're a man, what do you want? You want more power. I heard somebody, I think it was, it was uh, oh, he was a race car developer. Dang it, I can't remember his name. But he said, there's no such thing as too much horsepower. There's only such thing as not enough traction. Right? Power is not bad. The abuse of power is bad. So with power, you have to have accountability, and you have to have checks. But you cannot operate anything without power. One of the things that the church often does is they give responsibility with no power to carry out that responsibility. So they say, go fix our problems, do everything right, but you have no power to do so. Have you all ever been in a business that did that? They expected you to fix things that you have no power to fix. We, by the way, do that all the time. We'll go to a doctor and we'll say, doctor, I'm sick. And the doctor will do all kinds of tests and they'll go, well, I'm not really sure what's wrong with you. We go home and we complain to everybody we know. All I did was waste money. They didn't even fix me. They couldn't even tell me. They said it might be. Let me just ask you a question. Do you really expect that a doctor can fix Something that the tests don't show is actually a problem? 
I mean, think about it logically. Do they really have the power to know what's wrong when you don't even know what's wrong? You say, well, they went to school for that. Yeah, but what about the microbes that nobody sees? What about the things that haven't even been invented yet in sickness, right? I mean, when COVID came, nobody knew how to fix that. We figured it out, but at the end of the day, there was a process, right? You get the point, right? Let me tell you what our, let me tell you what our solution is currently for, uh, for leadership here, okay? It is currently to select committees. Listen, there is no biblical precedent for committees leading a church. But not biblical. But it's not biblical. Let me finish. Southern Baptist means that we stand on God's word first. That we are autonomous. That means we don't have structures, hierarchical structures. And really, Southern Baptist means that we cooperate together. Now, here's the thing. I said, and it's true, and I challenge you, if, if, if it's not true, I want you to show me. There's no biblical precedent for committees leading the church. There is biblical precedent for elders leading the church. But that doesn't mean that committees can't be used as a form of leading the church. Right? So committees are a human function or a human system of getting something done. As a church, committees can work. Amen? Because it gets buy-in, it gets people to the table. But here's the caution, okay? Again, I'm telling you this because we are stepping into an area that if we're not very, very cautious, we're going we're gonna to open up a can of worms where disunity is going to rule the day and not peace and the mission of God. The challenge of committees is this. Our only criteria for selecting committees is, did enough people vote for them to be on the committee? And did they agree to be? Now, by the way, just so you'll know, I have no idea. I had no idea till this morning what our committee members... I planned this before this morning, right? So this message was not planned this morning after looking at the list. So this is not about who's on the committees. That's not what it's about. It's about the principle, though. I had nothing to do. I didn't know who the committee members are going to be presented. I none of that. I wasn't a part of that discussion at all. But the question is, are the people that were wanting to be on committees, are they the right people? And again, I don't know. I'm putting it on you to ask these questions. Are they the right people to lead us through the next part of church? Here's the question I would ask, and let me tell you why. In Psalm 78, the very last verse says this, And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and skillful hands. What that means is they had a pure heart and they had a skilled hand. They had competency or he had competency. I would say that before we elect any committees, we ask these questions. Are the people we're wanting to lead us spiritual? Do they have a walk with God that's evident? So is, are they fruitful? Is there evidence of fruit of the Spirit and faithfulness in their life? So that's the third one, faithfulness. And then the fourth one is, do they have the skill to lead us in that place? So spiritual, fruitful, faithful, and skillful. Now, 
That list I think you could find in Scripture if you looked at it, the different kinds of leaders. But I want to say to you as a church, on Wednesday when you select committees, if you don't ask those questions and if the people on the committee, and again, I don't know because I'm not looking at the list. I, don't even, I couldn't even tell you who's on the list at this point. But if you don't ask those questions, you're going to put leadership people, people in positions of leadership that are going to cause division, not health. Amen? Makes sense, right? So you have authority that's given by God. You have power that's given by documents. By the way, let me just add a caveat. In 19 years at this church, we have been notoriously a committee-driven church. And it has been constant chaos when those committees were not the right committees. In fact, usually what happens is those committees splinter and some of the people on the committees leave the committee and leave the church. I could name you a dozen people who've left because they served on a committee. I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm saying this is an important thing. Very important. So, here's the fifth one, or the, the, the third, okay? Leadership. Authority is given by God, power is given by documents, and leadership is granted by permission. Leadership is granted by permission. It's you saying, I give you permission to lead. What you're doing is you're giving permission to an overseer. Not authority, but permission. You're giving permission to a deacon body. You're giving permission to a committee. You're giving permission to overseers and elders, right? And what that means is you're saying, I choose to follow you. Permission means you don't have to, but you choose to. And I'm saying to you, church, that you have to give permission to someone to lead. Because if you don't, you will be in the quagmire of everybody going his own way. And that never works out good. It never has. In our country, in our state, in our city, in our church, leadership matters. So permission to lead. You can lead by two, one of two ways. You can lead by position or you can lead by influence or relationship. It's better to lead by relationship because that means there's a trust involved. You should be able to trust your leaders. If you don't trust your leaders, you can't ask them to lead. In fact, it's hypocritical to say, we want you to lead, but we don't trust you. This goes for every area of life. If you don't trust them, don't let them lead. Choose somebody else. That goes for me too. If you don't trust me, I shouldn't be leading you. It's the way it is. I recognize that. And guess what? If you don't trust me, I don't want to be leading you anyways. Right? I mean, wouldn't it make sense? So how do you trust somebody? It's very simple. Are they spiritual? Are they fruitful? Are they faithful? And are they skillful? It's a pretty good criteria. You must ask that question. It's on, it, it, the ball is in your court. Now, here's what I do know. I know that we are the church. 
We are the body of Christ. We are the people of God called and sent out to impact the kingdom of darkness for the kingdom of God. And I know that Jesus said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Therefore, he's sending us with that authority. So the only thing that will stop us is us. That's it. Either unified or fragmented. You can't be both. They're mutually exclusive. So choose well. Father, I pray that you would help us to be followers of Jesus. That we would look like you in every area of our life. That we would be like you. Not just look like you, but be like you. I pray, Father, that as your people, we would be filled with the Spirit. That we would display the fruit of the Spirit. That we would display love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Father, I pray that you would let all of us hear the warning from Scripture that six things you hate, seven are an abomination. And the last thing you list is a divisive person. God, I pray that you would remind each of us that division is something you deal with very very harshly. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to yield ourselves to you. God, help us to figure this thing out. We need you more than we've ever needed you before. Lord, we're on the, we're on the cusp of such a great, great future. I pray that we would submit ourselves to you to see that. Father, thank you for your goodness.